0: First off, I want to say thank you all for having me. My name is Tony F. I am out of the oh my god home group. I'm actually based physically out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. One of the, I was trying to think of the right term for it earlier, but uh, COVID kids, Zoom babies, whatever you want to call it. Um, about just shy of two and a half years sobriety. So I got sober back in February of 2020. Um, and I just want to take again a moment to just appreciate being here, given the opportunity to talk with you all. Um, I have not done one this long before, but I'll give it a try. So um, a bit about myself. Let's see, I um, I guess I should say I'm in my late 30s now. That's kind of daunting to say. Um, but I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Grew up in, a, in an area with the usual um, suburban, lower middle class type usual to me. Um, Lifestyle, uh, two working parents, a couple siblings. Um, but what I grew up doing was having a um, introverted lifestyle. I, I, that word gets thrown around a lot these days. Um, but for me, really, what it turned into was I like to read and I like to play games. Um, if given the option, if given the option between a sunny day outside and taking another crack at Tolkien, I'll probably go for another round of Tolkien. Um, and I think that actually persis- persists with me today. Regardless, though, I grew up in a um, Methodist lifestyle. So I grew up religious, but Methodist is not too religious. Um, I grew up with a a mindset drilled into me to be helpful and as kind to others as I could be, um, sometimes to the, to the detriment of myself. It caused me to favor being by myself, being with my thoughts, um being alone more than um most other children would and that followed me through into my middle school and high school years where I favored being by myself I had friends don't get me wrong but I didn't have social opportunities I didn't have healthy ways for me to feel comfortable in a crowd I didn't have or didn't find myself having ways to um just be comfortable in my own skin I I still work on that today. Um also on top of that, uh, I find my I found myself in in you know grade school being pretty smart. Um, probably to my again to my detriment, because it never really taught me how to study. So I was just smart and winged, I just winged stuff and it worked out for the best, usually. So then when I got to my college years, I was not prepared for failure or for feeling. Uh, down or um, feeling feeling a sense of failure when it came to things I was previously good at. This with my procrastination would lead to long bouts of um, isolating myself in my room, to crank through a project, powering through something, which put me into a, a mindset of trusting only what's between my skull. So trusting my brain, believing I could power through a problem, even if I wasn't prepared for it, and not really being prepared to ask for help. So, you know, over the course of my early adult or my early life, I was teaching myself every day, every year, to trust my ability to deduce a problem and succeed at the end of the day. Um, What this really built into me was a sense of stubbornness. And a bit of defined behavior especially when feeling being told to do something else maybe for my own benefit that moved me into my early adult life and i had a chance to meet a wonderful person my first wife <laughs> emphasis on first and i uh we hit it off very well but i think my lack of a full complete picture of what a good marriage should look like especially for my childhood my parents divorced when i was Early on, they had several problems. I never really saw what a good marriage looked like, so I didn't really know what to look for. I found a good person, married them, only to have it blow up in my face years later. And I uh, just didn't know what I was looking for. So when those pieces started to fall apart, I once again fell to my old behavior isolation, pulling back, which, as we all know, is a recipe for just a wonderful way to have a marriage. And that marriage collapsed spectacularly after about four and a half years. My partner in crime during this collapsing marriage, however, was alcohol. Alcohol was a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful numbing agent. It made me feel better. It made me feel right, most importantly. It made me feel comfortable with what was going on. Or at least able to accept it better or at least thinking I was accepting it better. But I do think that the most important thing of what it did to me is it solidified my decision that I was right in my choices, right in my beliefs. It made me a real son of a bitch, I'm sure. And I have a very tactile memory of being in yet another argument with my ex-wife after work and finding um, her pacing the first floor, going to the second floor, and I'm reading in the corner with a giant tumbler of gin. um, And I'm just tracing the brick next to me on the wall, just feeling the sensation of my thumb and focusing almost all my energy on that without even thinking about it. Um, All while, of course, the gin is working its magic on me to numb me from what was going on around me. Uh, so i instilled, you know, during my early 20s, just this strong, powerful habit uh, of turning to this, um, you know, juniper medication that uh, released me from this little hell I built myself into, with you know, without without my knowing, I was building my own little hell. It was around this time of my life, around 24, um, or excuse me, 27, that my dad got sick. My dad had always been a drinker. He, uh, he's still alive, but around that time, he had, well, in the years leading up to this point, he and my mom had divorced. He had been living by himself in a little condo, and, you know, in the years leading up to my divorce, whenever I would call him, and I would call him a couple times a week just to check in on him. And I would find him at various states of uh, inebriation. So conversations, if I called him at six or called him at eight, they could last 10 minutes or an hour and a half, depending on how many times I went through the same conversation with him. So around this point, um, when I was going through my divorce, he got sick, having been found in his condo, unconscious, on the floor of his bathroom for, they estimate, a day, day and a half. I don't know if he was unconscious the whole time, but he had suffered a fall, couldn't remember a thing, and um, was in pretty bad shape. Was actually admitted to the hospital, of course, and went to a critical care unit. He was there for about a week and a half, two weeks. And I'd come to visit him a couple of times. Um, being, you know, while I was working, I was going through divorce, I was and I was living three hours away. Um, And having seen him, I could just, I saw like this. I don't know, in the back of my mind, I saw an affirmation of my own future, in a way. Um, I knew my family on both sides had a disposition to drinking and to depression and to pills. All of which would be other stories, but... uh, but I could see in my in myself in what he was going through. And he did recover. And he actually, I don't know if he swore off alcohol, but he stopped drinking. I don't think it was anything he vocalized for a while. But that really sold home to me, this sense of finality or sense of surety. Surety actually, that there was something you know in my family that I was that I would be leading myself into, or maybe giving myself permission that if that happened to me well, it was in the cards, what can I do? So thus begins my, you know, I go through the divorce. I begin my bachelor life and having gotten married right out of college. I never really had a bachelor life, especially having been introverted in my uh, late teen, early well, my college years. And um, for once in my life, I actually felt successful on all fronts. I uh, had a nice house. You uh, know, downtown city um, had a good job, was going upward, good career progression, felt respected and felt, um, yeah, successful at work, which is important to me. I also finally, for once in my life, felt sexually successful, uh, desirable even, but almost all of this was revolving around alcohol. My um, My neighborhood, my old neighborhood, had a little Irish pub actually a really quaint place, and uh, it's hard not to feel fond about it a little bit. Um, and I remember being in my, in my separation process with my wife, finding myself going here to do the thing you do at bars, which is where you go and talk about your problems. Find a person to talk to. Maybe not, you know, don't sob into your beer, but just you go to the bar to talk about problems, because that's what they do on Cheers and shit like that. So I did that. I found it really wasn't my thing to talk about problems, but I found, though, a community of people, the regulars, that um, quickly befriended me. So I felt at home. I felt accepted in a social setting. My goodness. Who'd have thought? I also found myself actually quite socially adept after a beer and a half or, well, two or three, actually, at that point. So I'd go back and back and back to this bar, you know, not just once a week, I started going two or three times a week, soon to be four or five times a week in the years following. This place is only open six times a week, and I sometimes would even do all six days. The exception would be the day I would skip it, that'd be the weird part. Um, but what this taught me was this sense of safety, this sense of um, home, this sense of acceptance um, friendship, success, sexuality in this place, and it coupled tightly, tightly with drinking. And up to this point, my drinking, you know, before finding this pub, my drinking had always been personal, solo. I'd always, you know, I had, It wasn't like I was, I wasn't not drinking before then. I just simply had my bottle of whatever and I would make a mixed drink, do some work, and I'd work and drink and that was it, at home. But now it was, I work and drink at home, go out to the pub, work and drink some more, go back home, drink some more. And that was my day, every day. Um, so there wasn't a day that I wasn't drinking. In fact, I had been once challenged by my first wife to go for a week, can you imagine, a week without drinking. And I actually remember, I wasn't even honest about that. That was another thing I was bad at, was honesty. I remember saying, making a big deal about, oh yeah, I'm not, I I can do that, no problem. I was proud. I was too proud to admit I couldn't do it. God, of course, just going a week without drinking, who could do, who, anyone can do that. You're an alcoholic if you can't do that. And uh, I would cheat drinks because she would go to bed at 9.30. So I'd be up late working and just happen to have a martini for two at 10, 11 p.m. at night. Obviously, she must have known we slept in the same bed together. You really can't hide gin martini breath, you know, at five or six a.m. when you wake up. So, but you never mentioned it. I, I claim the victory regardless. Maybe even over myself, I claim victory over that little spiel. Um. Anyway, so I'm, at, I'm a new found, I'm a newfound bachelor. I'm going to this pub all the time. I'm working at being successful at life. I'm being successful at work, I'm being successful at home, whatever was it. And it's going great for now. This starts to become, I start having a few problems, close calls, even. Um, throughout that period, and I start driving when I shouldn't be a little bit more often, quite often. Um, I do stupid things when I'm drinking, a couple of close calls where I'm a like, on the top of a row house roof, breaking into my own house because I lost my key in the park uh, that night at 1 a.m. Just trying to break into my own house, nearly falling to my death and breaking my neck. You know. Anyway, I don't think anything. I don't think twice of that. It's not a problem because that didn't happen. So why worry about it? And it was at this point that I met Joey, my partner, my my wife, who I'm with now. It feels weird to put you know a temporal statement around that, but I found my wife. <laughs> and move out further from the city, which takes me further away from my actual office. Now, until this point, I would still go to the office three or four times a week. And that would give me this span of mostly sober time every day in the work week, uh, almost every day in the work week, where I would be sober. But now I'm further on the other side of town, It's just a pain in the ass to get out there. And at the same time at work, I work in IT, we had reorganized, and now all the people I work with are in different cities and different countries, and there goes out an edict at work. Well, if you're working primarily remote remote anyway, don't bother coming into the office, we'll repurpose the space. So here I am, working from home. My my wife is uh, working in a in-person job, you know, doing her thing down in the city, I'm by myself in our house or in her house um, all day, every day. I'm cranking along, doing no problem. And I, you know, have no problem at first. I I've, I don't have a problem yet. Um and I start moving that little line in the sand of when it's okay to drink earlier and earlier. Well, I should do it from your perspective, earlier and earlier into the day. And no longer is it 6 p.m. No longer is it 5 p.m., 4 p.m. Is it just a drink at it's a drink at lunch? I, I would, you know, get the handle, of the gin, get the tonic water, have a little spritzer with my lunch, and then be done, you know, be a little little pick me up and uh turn around and be fine, come back, uh, come back at five and then have another one I, when the day is finished and go out and play with the dog and, cool, what a great day. And I start having two at lunch. And I start having um gin throughout the day. And around that point, in you know, a couple of years into or rather a year into it, um, Joey makes a career change, and ends up coming and working out of the house. Well, one of the houses. So now I've got people in the house with me. You know, it's not just the dog I'm trying to hide my drinking from, it's the uh it's my wife. So I start placing strategic little uh Stashes, caches around the house. Little filing cabinet to my right here. You pull back the bottom drawer, and there, in the back, underneath the clipboard, is the bottle of gin. You know, with the backup bottle, because you have to be a back, have to have a backup. It's over in the closet, over there, or upstairs in my old suitcase that I would travel with. Um, so I start having little caches around the house. Think I was so clever. And. At first, I was, at least I think there was a point where there was a period where I wasn't being caught, it wasn't obvious, but then problems started to um <laughs> I'm just checking my notes real quick here. Yeah, so I start, I start missing things. I start um, sleeping through meetings, sleeping during the day, just crashing. Around 2pm was really notorious crash time, which isn't surprising. You know, you, you go, you can't really stomach breakfast. Really, I was starting to, not, starting to not be able to stomach breakfast. I always thought that was just a me thing. Turns out it was just a drinking thing. So all will seemed me by about, you know, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. It's about two cocktails, maybe three, maybe a handful of nuts. I was banging into taking mixed nuts and putting in my pocket, snacking on a nut or two to fuel me. And a whole bunch of uh, coffee, really. So I start crashing around two p.m. Um, and missing calls. I start uh, being embarrassed at work. Joey starts finding me, you know, falling, start having fallen asleep on the floor. Um, she always thought it was just because I worked so late and I was so tired. That's, at least that's the excuse she gave me. Oh yeah, he worked so hard, and then he. He just crashes right there on the floor. And like, yeah, well, looking back because I was, I was fucking drunk. <laughs> um and I did some very stupid things. I actually I had been helping these two neighbor girls, uh, two little kids that had to go to and from school, and their their parent, their mom couldn't help them, we needed help. So Joey would take them in the morning and I'd come and pick them up from school, made a little deal out of it. So here I am driving two little kids, you know, two or three cocktails in every day uh, from school. Sometimes even being late for that, sleeping in and missing that, getting called by the elementary school. Imagine you're the elementary school principal or teacher calling some white guy to pick up two little black girls and the white guy shows up 20 minutes late. probably not looking so hot? So very embarrassing and shameful. So these problems started coming up. Um, on top of that, as mentioned before, I was a bit of a stubborn, in, inward thinking person. I prided myself on trusting my own judgment and trusting my own decision-making capabilities, that ability to come to the logical conclusion, um, which only intensified when I had been drinking, especially the type of drunk I would get. You know, you, you've been drinking all day, As a lull, you wake up crabby, and you have another drink, but you're not drunk, you don't feel like you were drunk. And so you're just pissy, and not sober, but not enjoying it. And so we'd get into fights, Joey and I, about any given topic, could be about our neighbor, could be about some philosophical thing, could be about culture, could be about, um, doesn't really matter. point is I would draw a hard line on the sand and I found myself just really tripling down on this stubbornness and this defiance of, no, you aren't right. And then the arguments go from conceptual into, well, you said this, this way, five sentences ago, or five sentences ago, you said this, that then controverts this. Really pissant stuff. Um, so life was starting to not be as fun. Even, even the pub that I had moved away from, I had gone back to every now and then as a little jaunt little treat go over there on a friday night or something and just didn't feel fun anymore felt either too loud because i wasn't drunk enough yet or i felt just too drunk and too tired and too drained of it the social energy was gone success feeling was gone all that was left was this um, Attempt at bal- finding a balance that was no longer attainable, finding the right, the right type of drug. Couldn't find um, So I start failing. in Life at work with the missing meetings. I start not liking my job. Although in my defense, the job was had some problems baked into it. Point is, though, you, you really don't want to be on this. You don't want to be reassigned to the special projects manager. At a company which is what my job turned into doesn't matter though but anyway the uh point is i was failing now or i was facing senses of failure in life in home and work and even in social which had been good to me until that point and just like at college when i all of a sudden hit that brick wall of failure where i can't just use brilliance to you know overcome a test um i started spiraling in the face of this failure. I didn't know how to study and work at it. I didn't know how to work at being a better person, a better husband, a better employee. My my, my methods of winging it were not working. So I started feeling anxious. I know I've always been an anxious guy, I think. But it started getting really bad. I started um, getting jittery started getting worried. I started getting, not paranoid, but fretting about things that normally wouldn't have caused me concern. The sense of the feeling you'd get when you'd had maybe two cups of coffee past your proper limit and where it was, wasn't fun anymore. So I was starting to reach out, branch out into things to try to, to fix this new problem that I had. It must've been a new problem. Couldn't have been anything that existed before. This is brand new. All my problems were Coming from this new core of being anxious, fix the anxiety with some cure, and all of a sudden life will be better. So I thought. So I start trying out things like uh, deep tissue massage. I start trying things like deep breath exercises or deep breathing, rather. And these these were helpful, no doubt. Um, (laughs) I even found, or my my wife is a. Um, she likes to dabble in home remedies, not as a replacement, but as a supplement. And so she had made me a tincture, um, out of some part of marijuana. I'm not really sure what part of the, of the plant. It never, it never really was my thing, but it was supposedly supposed to be an anxiety reliever. If it was effectively pot mixed with a bit of brandy, you know, essenced down and did some eyedropper thing, couldn't get drunk on it, but certainly wasn't, you know, FDA approved. And uh, I remember carrying this thing around like it was, a, it was a fucking talisman. Forgive my swearing, I apologize. I don't know if I lied to you. But this thing was my cure-all. I don't know if it worked, but it felt like it sometimes. I even started taking it with me on, to work on trips, which must have made them thrilled. Um, I would get the shakes bad while trying to use it. I'd be so anxious and, and worried about what was going on at work be dropping, you know, not the one drop, I'd be dropping the five drops, you know, every half hour to get through a day. probably was adding up. So I had these alternative remedies that I was going through, plowing through, trying to find some sort of fix to what was going on in my life. And work was continuing to spiral down. I was not impressing my new boss. I had taken a new job i left the nest of the boss who had really been able to deal with me and tolerate me where I felt successful. Um, so things were starting to look bad on top it, during this point, I was also doing frequent trips to and from Cleveland for my work. And again, I'm out of Pittsburgh. So it was a quick, easy trip. <laughs> and, uh, I think a good barometer for how bad I was in my addiction. Because these Cleveland trips are not like they're there, you drive up, you know, do the two hours, get a hotel if you need to, and come back the next day, you're good to go. I started making this elaborate thing where you know I had to fit the I had to fit the drive-in, you know, after all my drinking's done. And I'd gotten a little shy at around 7 p.m., you know, to make sure I was okay. Or maybe I planned to leave after work and then conveniently find traffic too bad and get a couple more drinks in me, be leaving my house at around 10 p.m. For a one-day trip to cleveland and getting to the hotel by midnight what the hell's the point of that and still find a reason to get to the hotel having got a six-pack having drank the six-pack that night to go to the office for supposedly 6 a.m 7 a.m call or meeting show up at 8 would be late and blowing out the meetings taking them from the phone from the hotel room when i drove there in the first place and going to the hotel bar after the work is done. They're like next door to each other. Going to the hotel bar to get a couple more drinks in me to at least alleviate some of that anxiety and freaking out I was going through. Before I drove back to Pittsburgh to be driving through my old neighborhood and stop at that pub again, my old haunting gap ground to get back at my my house or Joey's house at about 9 p.m. I think in the course of I don't know, 25 hours, I would have had about 15 drinks in me. Pretty hard work when you're at the office for eight of those hours, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and eventually I even just started drinking while I was on the road. I had a little salsa jar, like those old Trader Joe's salsa jars. We washed out and I put my gin and tonic in there so the dog didn't kick it over. Well, that salsa jar just turned into my best friend, you know, during this point. Started finding its way in the car with me. Why not, right? That was terrible um And I think my worst point in one of those trips was actually where I started sleeping at the turnpike uh, rest stop. Maybe that was a good decision, but it was still a shitty point in my life. But I just remember feeling too drunk or too tired or too both of the things to get to the uh, Cleveland facility on time, where I just stopped at the turnpike and uh, crashed in the back of my car. Not physically crashed, but slept in the back seat of the car. And this is not a large car. Uh, to, to check into the hotel at six a.m. to a very curious um, receptionist, or maybe not curious, and to have a wonderful day at work. It's horrible. Um, yeah, so that's what work was starting to look like. It was starting to really fall apart at the seams. And so my work, my work's falling apart. My home life is falling apart. I'm starting to fight with Joey more and more. Um, One of the things we were fighting about, Joey and I, was whether or not I was depressive. If I was depressed, no, I'm not depressed, just anxious. No. Well, fine, I'll see a therapist. And it, it wasn't even necessarily a debate about whether I was depressed. It was a debate about seeing a doctor or seeing some sort of counselor. And I faced that with so much denial for the longest time and stubbornness and defiance that I finally bowed when I agreed to see a therapist. And I think it was a forced bow. I, I recall seeing the first three or, different, three or so different counselors being extremely not open-minded to what they had to say. And I certainly wasn't telling them how much I was drinking. I think I saw a therapist, I saw a psychiatrist, and I saw a psychologist, and I saw another therapist. And they each would ask you, you know, ask me how much you're drinking or how much do you drink, among, among other questions. And I say, oh, you know, about two a day. Even a day, that sounds like a lot, you know, to a to a, a normal person, a daily drinker. It must be a lot. Yeah, but I'm only two a day. It's not an alcoholic. I didn't mention, by the way, that the, the two were these mason jars. So they only got fully empty twice a day. Doesn't count if you're refilling it every time it goes halfway down, that's still one drink, right? That's what, that was my logic. The hell's that? So, <laughs> thanks Megan. The uh, That was my story to my doctor. So you can imagine the type of help I was being told and being willing to hear. And, it wasn't getting better. It was a, around this point, so I would have been, I had a good time, I don't have a good frame on age, but it would have been around 2018, 2019, probably around the beginning of 2019 that I began having, I thought they were stress-related morning sickness type events. I would wake up and vomit. I would have no appetite. I would feel sick, dizzy. I would have chills sometimes. The thought of food made me gag in the morning. <laughs> and uh I had such a problem actually maintaining any semblance of diet, any semblance of healthy anything. Um that I was really in a bad in a bad spot. And before we go any further, this is actually a funny little, no, I think it's funny. I was still working at this point, and I would get up at seven o'clock, 6.30 a.m. for meetings, and I'd be on these calls. These are one-on-one conversations with employees or partners or whatever. And I remember being in the backyard, playing with our dog, taking this call, nothing different, nothing unusual, saying, hold on a second, I gotta put you on mute. Mute, throw up in the backyard, unmute, back to the conversation. No problem, what the fuck's wrong with that? It's messed up. I used, that started becoming my, uh, I wouldn't say daily, every other day. I started doing that for several months. What cured me, though, all right, what cured me, excuse me, what made me feel better during this point in 2019, the beginning part of the year, was um, I took that half-empty salsa jar and, uh, that I stashed in the freezer because you want to keep your liquor chill, right? It's just a salsa jar with gin and tonic. I would just start sneaking it out of the freezer 8 o'clock in the morning, thirty. I would pocket it very quietly. I would open up both fridges. I'd open the freezer and the fridge at the same time, so I wasn't obvious I was going for the freezer. Pick that up. Gently Close the fridge while I got the milk for the coffee. That's so how you did it. And that's how I found myself feeling better. Just started drinking at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. But well, now my crashes were starting to happen at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, because I had nothing in me. I'd be throwing at what I had, anything, any any, any, any nutrients, anything, hitting gin right away, 8 o'clock, soon 7 o'clock, soon even 6.30, um, just as soon as I woke up, pretty much. Um, and it'd be, of course, passing out by 10. Anyway, so... That was my two a day. That was part of the two per day that I was telling doctors that I was going through. Still that half empty salted jar, never got fully empty, still still in the two a day. And uh, I started seeing while well, the therapist, he, he didn't seem like a bastard. His name is, I forget what his, I know what his name is, but the joke name that I love to give him, my, my, my moniker of choice is Dr. Scarf. He's a very dashing scarf on his profile picture. So Scarf starts telling me Okay, or I start meeting every two weeks from the once a month we were doing. See when that turns into every week. Because I'm not getting better. I'm starting to have panic attacks. I'm waking up terrified in dreams where I'm being crushed or I'm being like pulverized from falling blocks. Uh, it just like happened over and over and over. Um, I am just flailing everywhere, every which way in life. And so he starts meeting weekly. And with the couple, with a sorry, with the help of an actual psychiatrist, I start taking medication, trying out different meds. And this is the end of that, that year. So starting to be the end of 2019. I'm trying out these different antidepressants because I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And nothing's sticking. Some are making me throw up worse, although it's hard to tell if that was from the drinking or if that was from the not drinking. Some are just making me feel really crazy. So nothing's too out there, but I'm trying different medications, nothing's sticking. And work is just just on the thread. Work is just about to break. And HR reaches out to me and they say, "Listen, you need to do something." So they put me on short-term disability because I start having suicidal thoughts. Those two and from trips to Cleveland, or there was one trip to Kalamazoo, um, I started fantasizing about just letting the car go off the, the side of the road at 80 miles an hour. Um, and that was a recurring thing. That was starting to happen, like, every time I traveled. Um, yeah, so there was, like, a finally, uh, the when HR reached out to me, there was a very honest, tearful request for help, or at least an admission of need for help. And they got me on short-term disability. Maybe the chagrin of my boss, I don't know. I don't hold that against them. And I moved to my self-crafted therapy and my self-crafted therapy was to give time, to give uh, give the medications time to to settle, to, to give them a chance to work, not worry about work. So let loose all that anxiety just find some way to relax, which I did by reading Tolkien. <laughs> oh, I read all those again. Um, while drinking at 6.30 in the morning, I'd wake up in my panic sweat, throw up, um, do that a couple times, sneak out the gin. And there was this uh, little sitting room right actually past this wall with a chair in the corner, a very nice little upholstered chair, and uh, a makeshift plant stand. Out of a of an upturned pallet. So like those pallet, but the pallet boxes, the things that you you know you stock stuff with in a warehouse. Tons of little nooks and crannies, yeah. So the little salsa jar would go in one of the nooks, maybe the cranny, and uh, I'd sit there and read and let the meds work. About three or four hours every day, till I crashed at 10 a.m., 11 a.m., whatever. Ate a bunch of food because my body was freaking starving by about noon. I hadn't had breakfast yet. And I crash again after drinking again. This is not helping my home life. This is not making anything better. No, this is getting better. So, Joey, she's an artist. She starts, um, let's just say, she, for those of you that know artists or are artists, let's just say her, her desire to find residencies, which is the thing where an artist goes someplace else to get away from their life, to focus on their work. Her desire to start finding residencies is is through the roof. She's just doing this all the time. She did two or three of them. I think one of them was actually just made up by a friend to just have her go stay with her for a week. And uh, she's doing what she can to give me time but also to keep herself safe and and, uh, sane. So the things are not going well for our relationship. Here I am taking meds, drinking while on meds, having massive fights with Joey over, are you allowed to be drinking at 10 o'clock at night? Cause that's the one she got to see. I, I only shared, I was only showing her the drinking I was doing at the appropriate hours. I would hide every other type of drinking. If it was eight o'clock, totally fine. 8 a.m., not fine. So when she saw the 8 p.m. drink come out, are you allowed to be drinking on your meds? Yeah, sure. You talk to them while you're drinking? I don't have a problem with drinking. What the hell? That's the fight. So that was that was a bunch of fights during that period. And uh, let's see. Catching up. Yep. So that was that was probably the, the route to the depth of my addiction. I wasn't being honest with Joey. I was off work. I was lying to my doctors, lying to myself, vomiting every morning, and some I was starting to get into the day too. Drinking constantly, not getting anything done, prospects were not good. Um, and I started to wonder, actually, like, well, i not wonder, but I had started to to consider um, in. When I was growing up I'd always known that my family had like it's like I said had a disposition to drinking to addiction and so it um it turned into a well I have a disposition for drinking okay I'm a functional alcoholic that was a quasi-proud badge that I applied to myself for some time to well, this is just how I am and eventually that turned into around this point I don't see myself at 50. This is not, and I'm okay with that. Like, kind, not like a. There was no, there was no uh, firmness in my statement. There was no um, surety. There was just um, acquiescence that that wasn't going to be for me. Life after fifty, if, if i would it that long. Well. Um. So I approached the beginning of 2020 with that being my mindset. So that was that was me, January. And uh, it came to a head where it, actually, it didn't actually come to a physical head. It didn't actually come ever to a point. There was no showdown. There was no breaking point. There was no hitting pay dirt. It was just this utter depth of knowing I had lost or I was losing. I like would already lost before the chips were down. What I do remember though is some Monday, Monday, in February of that month, I was low on my supplies. I was low on gin, low on emergency gin, the shitty stuff. And I was even low on emergency vodka. I'd buy them all because I was, I was trying to be economical. So I'd buy like the shitty stuff as a backup that I would drink when I was already drunk so I wouldn't notice the difference in taste. You have the good, sh- you have the good stuff first, and the shitty stuff after she so didn't notice it you me saving money. frugal Anyway, so I'm, I'm low on all I'm out of the good stuff. And I had just made my last drink with the last of the University Gin, with the last of the vodka. And we had just had a big fight of oh, Joey and I over my drinking or my lack of a problem. And she had just gotten back from one of the residencies. And I think from her perspective, she saw that nothing had changed. Nothing had gotten better. I was getting worse and worse. I was looking worse. Um, I looked like shit. And I, it, she, we had just gone. We just had a fight. She'd gone to bed. I was having my last drink. I finished the drink, and I pour the last one, last little bit of vodka with some random tequila that I found to make it something, and immediately just turned my nose up at it. Even drinking now as it had grown to, to this point, it had gotten and lost all luxury in it. It no longer offered any kind of positivity. It, it offered no virtue. It offered no taste. It offered nothing. It was a necessity at that point. It was like drinking grape cough syrup to me. I needed it. I hate grape cough syrup, by the way. I remember throwing it off as a kid. So to me, it was drinking medication. There was no enjoyment of being drunk. There was just a necessity of being fuzzy. So I pass out at that point on the couch and I wake up the next day and immediately go back for the leftover in the jar and put some ice in it. And I immediately almost usually, when I would throw up, it would be a culmination. It would, it would build up in me and I go to it, fine. This time it was literally like a spit tick. Took a swig, almost immediately out. The body had rejected it. My, I I physically was unable to digest it. Maybe it was because it was tequila. I don't know, it doesn't really matter. The point is I just, my body refused to have it. I knew I was done. There was no breaking point for me. That was the last drink I ever took. That was February 17th, 2020. Um, And so I started my detox solo because that's the smart way to do it, right? Do that, don't do that. Um, And I had not prepared for this at all. I had told Joey I was done that day, um, sheepishly. I was not proud of it. I, if I were proud of it, that would have admitted that I had a problem in the first place. This was me just simply saying, "Oh, by the way, I stopped drinking. No big deal." But it was a big deal. I started <laughs> that day. Actually, I started shaking. Like by noon, I'd always shook a little bit before I had some sort of food or you know sugar. I started thinking it was you know over the years. I started thinking it was on blood sugar. Thing just drinking, so I started having shakes, um, really bad shakes. The vomiting continued, it turned into an every hour on the 20 minute mark. For the on the entire day, it would alternate with chills and fevers. Uh, by 36 hours, I started having auditory hallucinations. I apologize if this is triggering, as yes, but. I just think it was weird to hear ragtime music from down the street. Um, but this culminated, though, actual use of the word. This this broke for me when at 60 hours, maybe two and a half days into it, yeah, 60, um, I'm out in the backyard. I forced myself to go out and do my duty for the house, for the husband, and go play with the dog so and get him fed. So we're out in the back, Bistro, our dog. An iron plank kick. And then I wake up in the kitchen. What the hell happened? Why is my neighbor here? Why is Brian here in the kitchen with us? Why am I why am I sweating? Why I had had a seizure in the backyard. Joey had found me, called Brian over because he was a neighbor. They got me into the house. And that's that's when I just that's when I started the process of being willing to being willing. Best way I can put it. I asked, I I, I offered no defiance. i offered no thinking I thought better, thinking I knew better. Joey said, let's go to the hospital. I said, okay. Joey said, do this, do that. Uh, we have to get you there now. You're going to tell him everything. Okay, I will. And I told him everything. Told them the accurate numbers. Um, there was no more two drinks per day, it was more close to two and a half handles a week, or whatever the number came out to be. Um, and I started my detox in a in a room at the hospital for two and a half days. I was pretty lucky, I never got a firm estimate from a doctor on how close I'd come. Um, the hospital, lo- hospital bill alone, the test that it was pretty close, if you at least use the dollar value as a scale, that doesn't mean much in the US though. And they got me fixed up. And again, when I got out of detox of the hospital, Joey and I got back. She said, I want you to look at these IOP, these intensive outpatient programs, these rehab facilities. I said, okay, no problem. I'll go. No defensiveness because I had been, I felt, I think, I think I had been broken by that depth of desperation. I was willing to try something, anything, to make things better. So I entered this um, intensive outpatient program. And it was okay. Here's where my defined behavior started to pop back up. Um, So for those who might not know, like IOP is pretty much AA that you pay for sit in a circle with people in my class it was about two-thirds court ordered maybe three quarters didn't want to be there half had very obvious other addictions i'm sure most if not all had actual addictions side addictions Um, there's lots of ways that i could find to make myself feel different or special i found differences in my peers, not similarities. Um, I don't smoke weed, I don't party, I don't have a DUI. I'm not here because I have a court order. These are all differences that matter, nothing at all. They didn't matter at all, but I still found them and it gave me some trouble for the first half of IOP. But what what got me through that was when they, when we got to the actual beginning, these IOPs, they do, or at least mine, they do like a 12-week rotation. So if you're there for all three months or whatever, you might see it rotate and 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 turn back over to week one. So your week, week one might be there, week four to somebody else's week eight. Anyway, so when we finally got to the first step stuff, um, so like admitting powerlessness and asking for help, and that's when I really butted up against that because I've been trained all my life I don't need help I'm smart I don't need help I don't need to study I don't need to ask for help except I'd always had I'd always needed it I just powered through it or got lucky or just was you know fortunate so when the when the topic came up of admitting powerlessness and in the same token we started talking about do you still have alcohol at the house well, we still drinks we don't have gin we don't have vodka we don't have my alcohol so i'm safe right we still have a couple of beers still have wine i don't drink wine and uh, everyone in the room said what are you doing even the people even the people who were smoking weed are like what the hell are you doing um, and they they said okay you need to get rid of that stuff I said, sure, no problem. I'll do that tonight. I will do it because I'm here and I'm engaged. I am here for my recovery. And I said, no, you can't do that. You need to have somebody else do it. I dug my heels in at that. It was a sticking point. It was a problem for me. Uh, I needed to be able to prove to myself that I could do it, that I was powerful enough to control my own addiction. And that is when I realized, half helped from the group, like IOP helped me realize that was my addiction hiding in my own pride. It had put on the facade of, I can do this. I need to be able to prove to myself that I am capable. Fuck pride. Um, when When I accepted this fact of myself, that it was my addiction living through my thought that I could be in control, or thought that I should be able to be in control. I asked Joey right then and there, and I'm in the IOP circle. I call her up. Can you just handle this for me right now? I don't want to be there. She said, no problem. I'll do that right now. Clicked it all out, and I think that was when I actually first started my steps. That was my admission of uh, powerlessness, my, my inability to control it. Needing help, so IOP went pretty simply. After that, I um, finished up IOP, and I found meetings. Now, being a I think the term I used earlier was a COVID kid or a Zoom baby. I didn't do any in-persons, but I tried a couple uh, Zoom meetings. stumbled across a couple. None really resonated with me until I found my home group. Oh my God! And it wasn't anything. Um, I didn't click. I didn't feel like there weren't angels. I mean, there were actually sound effects of angels, but I think that was more Mikey's doing than the actual, you know, occurrence for me. But what what got me was my ability to fade into the back because it's just the size of the meeting. And there's some there's several meetings like this, but it's a big meeting, and I could be off camera if I wanted to. I could be listening while doing other stuff and feeling productive. I didn't have to be just in front of the camera. That was necessary for me at the time to ease into my recovery with a, with a program with a with a meeting so i can start absorbing this information of course there's a slogan though i think that's out there that floats around that i think i heard that your car doesn't get fixed just because it sits in the mechanics parking lot something like that so i started turn my camera on i started talking here and there home group members and service members started asking me to do the preamble, do the responsibility statement. I started getting my name out there. And once again, Dr. Scarf, therapist, who's in recovery too. And he, he'd been brought up to speed and I finally told him, I told him at this point, yeah, by the way, I'm actually an alcoholic. you like, oh yeah, big surprise. Um, he says, okay, I want you to get a sponsor. Just get a sponsor. So that day, that same day, pride kicked in, but at least my favorite this time. And uh, at, a, at the meeting, I reached out and chat because I'm doing all my freaking phone, trying to maintain a arm's length distance from the meeting. And I reach out and say, Hey, I'm looking for a sponsor during the after meeting. Jeremy R., some of you may know him. Texted back right away. Sure, no problem. Talked to him, and we clicked. It was great. Had that same kind of quiet, dry humor. Um, I felt comfortable, I felt at home. Maybe, I'd be, maybe I would feel at home with anybody, but he felt at home with him. Um, yeah, and that was the beginning of my um, my own step work. It was just how I found a sponsor, and over the next 10 months, you know, I spent my time doing the steps. Um, I realize I'm running a little bit low on time, but I want to just say that uh, it's been lucky for me to have found so much support from an online community and i've always been an it related guy i'm comfortable with virtual meetings i'm comfortable on the phone maybe not comfortable doing video chats but whatever um but i was able to do my my step work that way and also be a service that way Uh, so i don't know how many of us here are new to recovery Um, But if I could uh, pound down some keywords here, for me, it was service, open-mindedness, being willing to change, and honesty. Those are the three things that I think saved my life, and that they're uh, opposing them with my pride, my isolative behavior, and my resentments against myself. Um, Yeah, I don't have a good... Ending to this. I don't have everything fixed. I'm still working on shit. I'm sure many can attest to that. I'm working again. I did quit that job. Uh, just wasn't a good fit. I'd been one of those things where i gotten promoted into um, ineptitude or whatever the term is. I just let that one go. I didn't do it out of pride. I didn't kill myself doing the job out of pride. Found something far better, more enjoyable doing service work being busy, being social. And it's been such a pleasure to be here with all of you. So thank you.